0: My old man, he always told us to do what we love and, you know, the money will follow. So I'm hoping that it, you know, works its way into that situation. I think it seems like the really, like, awesome, epic, really cool jobs just aren't going to quite pay what you want them to, you know?
1: Welcome back to Season 3 of MasterCard's Fortune Favors the Bold. I'm your host, Ashley C. Ford, and that's our guest this week, Andrew Zeal. This season, we're talking about the big financial questions we all have but are too afraid to ask. And I know a lot of those questions are about our jobs. So this week, we're kicking off a two-parter all about work. Today, we're asking, how do I make work work for me? The nature of work is changing. There's so many ways to do work now, and we use so many different words to describe what we do. There's startup culture, there's the gig economy, trade work, freelancing, whatever you want to call it. We're all trying to figure out how to make our work work for us. I don't know about you, but a big part of my financial identity was thinking that I had to have a 9 to 5 to be successful. You know, you sit at a desk for eight hours or you clock into an eight-hour shift somewhere and you know your paycheck comes from the same place every month. So when I decided to pursue a career outside of that, I felt like, how am I supposed to do this? But now that I've been at this writer podcast host thing for a while, I realize what I've been doing isn't new It's actually more like being an entrepreneur. And while that sounds kind of glamorous, it doesn't always provide the security that you get with a nine to five. That secure feeling? I like to think of this as financial equilibrium. That nice, happy place where you know you have enough to pay your bills and do the basic things you want and live without fear of the unexpected. But having a job you love and financial equilibrium, it can feel impossible to have both. And that's what I want to talk about today. Today we're going to talk to Andrew, a plumber's apprentice who, like me, tried a lot of different jobs before he found one that fit. But he still doesn't exactly feel like the entrepreneur he wants to be. To answer his questions, we'll talk to two people who have been very successful in creating their own lives outside the nine-to-five, Heather Thomason, a butcher and the founder of Primal Supply, a butcher shop in Philadelphia, and Jeremy Ayers, a potter based in Waterbury, Vermont. Together, we'll talk about how you can find financial equilibrium when you're making that leap from the nine-to-five to your entrepreneurial dream. And that's exactly what our guest Andrew is thinking about. For him, the future feels a little uncertain, but there's one thing he's always known.
0: I just kind of knew I wanted to do sort of like more of a blue collar job as opposed to a desk job. Always wanted to be working outdoors or you know with my hands. From a young age, I was always into building stuff or taking things apart and putting them back together. Always had a project going, I guess still always have projects going, even now.
1: Today, Andrew is 26, and he's realizing that a lot of his interest in the kind of hands-on work he's doing now, he can trace that back to his dad.
0: So I think when I was probably like, I don't know, 10 or 12, my dad bought me like a small boat motor from a garage sale, like a real old vintage one, and so that kind of started like the, ooh, you know, gas engines, these are sweet. That sort of segued into other things.
1: Still, it took him a while to think about the work that he liked to do as not just a hobby, but as a real option for his future.
0: In high school, most of my friend group were going on to four-year universities, and so I kind of thought, all right, well, maybe I'll go that route and get into something.
1: But he didn't find anything he liked and started looking for other options.
0: First, he tried welding. I ended up going to school for welding for one year
1: did that for a while. When that didn't feel right, he went back to school for urban forestry and started working for various tree services back in his hometown in Wisconsin. He even started his own service. But that job didn't feel totally right either.
0: Doing, you know, the cutting and uh, removals and all the pretty intense work is almost the easy part. It's getting the actual jobs that is the challenging part.
1: Andrew found himself in a dilemma. He was ready for work that he didn't have to chase down every day. Something with a little more stability. But he still wanted to do work with his hands, on his schedule. In his gut, he knew he hadn't found the right thing, and some days that nine to five looked pretty sweet.
0: Some days that's great, other days it's, you know, you're wishing, man, I wish I could be behind the desk right now or something um craving the cubicles what i call it but uh,
1: (laughs) finally he found the perfect combination of things he was looking for
0: kind of switched gears i still do the tree service thing on the side but you know it's definitely less and less as time goes on but yeah now i'm kind of on this plumbing path i officially became an apprentice plumber and um i thought i'd kind of see what this you know real skilled trade, real niche-type work, you know, would be like.
1: But even though this plumbing path feels good, Andrew still has questions about how to not just survive, but thrive with his new job. So what has that been like?
0: Um, It wasn't super easy, you know, and, and it's still not, just because I, I guess you sort of feel like man is this you know am i giving up a bunch i worked so hard to get to this point and now i'm just going to walk away from all that you know is that really a smart thing to do so i kind of have a level of maybe not quite anxiety but a level of like may i guess you could call it anxiety but just you know Oh i'd definitely call that anxiety sure yeah <laughs>
1: Personally, I had no idea how much work becoming a plumber is.
0: It's a five-year program. Your class consists of going through a huge code book for all of the plumbing codes in the state, which can be a little...
1: You're going to school and getting hands-on experience while you're training to start your own business. And
0: so many work hours as well, so just... And then the job itself. We do a lot of septic systems, which are kind of like private sewer systems.
1: It's a lot of work.
0: Today we did a remodel for this house, basically tearing out the old tub. It was all new installation. All the water piping and you know drain pipes and sheet that. rock, so they have all the drywall there. We're doing a commercial property, which we don't do very often. We gotta have all our pipes set up so that they can put the we're drywall to done, on. We're gonna... So that was today. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's so much. I mean, it's kind of amazing because you were able to take this thing that you loved and this interest that you have and find a way to turn it into work that works for you instead of just following this path that was kind of set up for you.
0: Yeah, and I guess, you know, I can attribute that to my upbringing too. You know, my my old man never really, like, loved his job, I don't think. So he always told us to do what we what we love and, you know, the money will follow. So... And that way, I always tried to do that because I had the opportunity to do what I wanted to do. So I tried hard to find out what I wanted to do. Do you feel like that's been true? Um, do you have the money? Probably not all the money right now. No, I think um, I'm hoping that it, you know, works its way into that situation. Um, but yeah, I think it seems like the really like awesome, epic, you know, like really cool jobs like just aren't gonna quite pay what you want them to, you know. What is the comfortable point for you? <laughs> um, I guess just, you know, not freaking out when you had, you know, certain bills that you have to pay or certain unexpected bills, especially, or um, being able to purchase everything you need to purchase and then probably some things that you want to purchase, you know, maybe. We've been calling that financial equilibrium, like never having to think about money. Yeah, I would say it, it totally is. Um that would be, you know, what financial equilibrium would look like to me, at least. And you have a
1: family to think about, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have a wife and I have a dog right now. Yep. No kids. No kids at the moment. Hopefully the dog buys me some time on that one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's where Andrew is now. He's found work that he really likes, work that doesn't look exactly like he thought it was going to, but work that he can see himself doing for a long
0: time eventually become the licensed plumber and you know from there become a master plumber that if i you know i'm really up for it you know i think i could probably start my own plumbing company we actually just bought a house here like first we added the dog but then we added the house then we're you know now down the road we'll probably add a kid Every year it almost seems like you need to be able to make more and more if you're going to keep adding these things and stay at that same equilibrium point. I mean, you don't have to, but I'd much prefer to hold on to my equilibrium. I'm into that word, by the way.
1: Even though Andrew is into the idea of financial equilibrium, he knows his career choices weren't totally motivated by money. He has questions about how to keep doing work that he loves and feel secure while doing it.
0: I guess I want to feel, you know, passionate about what I'm doing. I want to feel uh, like my life has meaning, you know, um, to feel like you're making, you know, big contributions.
1: And when he thinks about other people who have chosen careers like his, is there anything they would have done differently?
0: Do they wish they would have done something else or, you know, what would they have done differently if they could?
1: And the big one. How do you really know that you're making the right career choice?
0: Was there any, you know, part of them that felt like they were making the wrong decision? You know, what kind of, what sort of guided them to that decision change in the first place? After the break, answers for Andrew.
2: My name is Sue Kelsey. I'm Executive Vice President at MasterCard. Today, the global gig economy generates just over 200 billion US dollars in gross volume, and we will expect that to double in the next five years. So, at MasterCard, we spend a lot of time studying how money moves. And we're seeing a lot of shifts in how people are getting paid and the gig economy is a really good example of that. And if you are working in the shared economy, the gig economy, having access to your funds when you need it is really important. I once was listening to a driver speak and he was doing three different types of work all on top of one another. And I said to him, well, how do, you, how do you manage all of these different types of income and, you know, what's really important to you? And he said, the single most important thing to me is getting paid when I want to get paid. If you're a driver on a ride-hailing platform and you run out of gas... You don't want to wait until Monday to get paid in order to keep working over the weekend. And through using MasterCard Send, we are enabling Lyft drivers to get immediate access to their wages. The future of work is changing. And so the way that money moves is also changing. And so at MasterCard, we're constantly innovating for people to ensure that they can get access to their money at the time that they want in the way that they want.
1: To learn more, email FFTB at MasterCard.com. When I first talked to Andrew, I thought about tracking down plumbers across the world who might be able to answer Andrew's questions. But then I realized I've also thought about these same questions. And I know nothing about plumbing. Like, seriously, nothing. Nothing. So I thought we'd bring Andrew's questions to two entrepreneurs who have definitely cracked the code on work and life outside the nine to five. Founder of Primal Supply, a butcher shop in Philadelphia, Heather Thomason. Heather, coming up through the butchery ranks, can't imagine, can't, honestly, don't know if I can do it. Love your work, don't know if it could be me. And Vermont-based potter, Jeremy Ayers. Jeremy, you're a potter. I can't even, I got all C's in handwriting. I can do I have no motor skills. I can't do anything like that. So I'm so, so, so excited to be talking to the two of you about the work you do and how you make that work. Uh, I'm really curious, what makes your work meaningful? Like what gets you out of bed in the morning, Heather?
3: For me... It was farming that actually brought me to butchery. It was seeing farmers that were raising animals in sustainable ways. And it's kind of had a broken supply chain where there wasn't great access for people like me um, who wanted to support those farmers and buy that meat. So what drove me to learn the trade of butchery and eventually build my business model was the idea of supporting farmers like that. That's definitely what gets me out of bed.
1: What were you doing before you became a butcher? Uh,
3: So, yeah, I spent my 20s working as a graphic designer. Um, It's what I studied in college, and I was living in New York, and at a certain point, I started my own small studio. So I started to kind of think about whether that was something I wanted to do in the long term and kind of questioning, um, did I want to keep doing work that involved constant clients and deadlines and stare at a computer all day? And I was sort of having this place in in my, in my life where I thought, I like this now, but I don't know if I'm going to be happy in five or ten years. And meanwhile, you know, food had always been this really important part of my life, and I had a really strong food community where I lived, and I did just have this moment where it kind of clicked for me. I, I saw a lot of things happening around me in my food community. I saw a small butcher shop open in my neighborhood, and I saw how quickly people started to shop there, and I just... I knew that there was this need and I had this crazy idea that maybe if I learn this trade, I could find my place in this kind of sustainable food world and solve some problems.
1: Wow. Part of what we're talking about in this episode is the nature of work. And I know a lot of people talk about job options. They present two categories, right? The nine to five or gig work. And I'm wondering how the two of you think about the work that you do.
4: Well, um... Being a potter for me was a part-time gig. And over the years, I've shifted the balance from just a little bit making pottery to the to the other side where I mostly make pottery. But for me, being an artist is really about multiple revenue streams. Mm. I have my pottery business, and then I teach, and then we here at my property, we throw food events. So we're really all about multiple revenue streams. How about you, Heather?
1: The
3: first half of my 20s, I worked places where I was supposed to, you know, show up on a more or less nine to five schedule or a nine to seven schedule, you know, to to meet deadlines and and do design work. But then I made this crazy career change and starting from the bottom again and learning and training and apprenticing with people, I kind of fell back to that very structured lifestyle again. You know, when I was farming, Mm -hmm. I had to be up and farming and doing chores at five or six o'clock in the morning. And we worked until the sun went down and maybe that's what made me sort of, become you know, the entrepreneur that I am because I kind of always needed to find a way to work in my own way to be my best self.
1: I think it's really cool that you've both found work that fits you so well but do you feel like something about that has also helped you feel like that work is part of something bigger than yourself?
4: Yeah. I live and work in the same community. You know, I walk across the driveway to to my job. My wife manages the restaurant uh, a block away. She walks to work. And we really have embraced this piece where we don't commute. We live where we work. Our footprint is here. And that piece of it is really important to me.
3: I, I can relate to that too, because I also have worked to improve my quality of life by also staying local. And recently, as we've invested in and, um, moved into this new facility that's kind of our our headquarters for future growth. It's also five minutes from our home, Mm -hmm. and it's important to us that we made this decision to build a thing and invest in the community, the
1: neighborhood that we're a part of. This season, we've been talking about the concept of financial identity a bunch. Like how we think of ourselves financially because our work is always such a big part of that. So I'm wondering about you two. Do you feel like
4: your choices are in line with how you were raised to think about finding a job? I know in myself that my my habits and my behaviors are very much like my parents and the, and how I grew up. And I grew up middle class probably lower middle class. And so I'm a bit of a worrier about money. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to conquer that. So the answer is yes, I'm very conservative when it comes to finances. And I, and I, I see that as a straight line coming down the generations of my family.
3: I also, you know, I, I grew up, you know, in sort of a average middle class family. Throughout my childhood, my parents always really encouraged me to dance and they encouraged me to make art. But there was always this question of, but also what will you do for work? Right. You know, These things aren't really jobs because I didn't come from a family where there was any models for me of anyone who had made a living as a creative. Mm-hmm. So while they were supportive, it was kind of like a, a conflict, I think. They were really rooting for me and also hoping that I would set myself up for
1: some kind of career path that would take care of me. I had a conversation with another guest named Andrew who's early in his career, and he left me with some questions for you too. He has already had a lot of jobs, but now he's a plumber's apprentice. He really likes the work he's doing, but he does still have doubts about whether this is the best path to success. I know you guys understand that concern better than most. Heather, how did you know you were on the right path as you were apprenticing?
3: Oh, that's, that's a good one. Um... I don't know. I I want to say I didn't, but I did. I just I think it sounds like he does too. I knew that I really wanted to do this work. You do have to exercise so much patience to work your way around the learning curve, and to work during this time where you know you're not you're not to the point where you have the role or the title or the pay that you want yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, if if the end goal is what's motivating you, you're gonna make it.
4: And I agree with you there. To jump in. It's like the 10,000 hours thing, you know. I mean, you have to make bad pots before you can make good pots. You've got you've to go through the process to get there.
3: I would second that because I do, I do think that, you know, especially as a craftsperson or a tradesperson, you know, it's all time and repetition and practice. So that's that's why we have apprentices, and that's why there's this time to work your way up in a trade or, you know, as an artist to develop your craft. Um, you can't shortcut that
1: time. I'm wondering, how have you learned to balance the pressure of the future, especially as a parent, as an artist, as someone trying to contribute to your community in the way you are, all while still pursuing a career that's meaningful and fulfilling, even when that career doesn't seem to have a clear path?
4: Let's see. Um every December I kind of have this sigh like okay wrap that year up and then okay big breath here we go January let's start again and like and and I try to keep it as simple as that where I could worry about oh my gosh what are my finances going to be like in 10 years when I'm trying to put kids into college and then I step back from that and say next year let's focus on next year I'm not going to get too tied up in what my business is going to look like in ten years. I, I do try to have a vision of the future, mm-hmm. but I am trying to live now and and get through this year and next. How about you, Heather?
3: I think initially in my first career in my 20s, um, I was never financially motivated, but I did have this sort of thing instilled to me where I was supposed to be financially responsible. So you know, I was pursuing work that would match up with you know the, the type of apartment that I wanted and what was my rent and all of those things. And um, you know, was was pretty good about that. But I think the fact that I made a crazy career change and I took two years to apprentice without pay yeah. <laughs> speaks to the fact that when I grew up a little bit and knew myself a little bit more and my priorities, it definitely wasn't money that motivated me. You know, the industry that I'm in now, honestly, if I can get to a point where my business is just sustainable and pays me you know, for the living that I I want to have. You know, my husband and I, we live modestly but comfortably. We pay our mortgage and we don't buy a lot of things and we're kind of fine with that.
1: I really love what the both of you are saying because I think it really applies to how Andrew is feeling right now. He's really eager to feel like he's making contributions to his family, to his field, and also to his community. And you're both doing that. But the path to doing that wasn't so clear, right? Or might look very different from the way you thought your career was going to be. And that's also something Andrew is worried about. So like, looking back on your not always linear career paths, what would you have done differently?
3: You know, I have a really hard time with that question because I think about it a lot. And um, I don't think that you can do anything differently. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I, uh, it's this, you know, if I had done anything differently, I wouldn't be where I am today. And, uh, and I think learning from mistakes and kind of growing along the way is really important. So I do think it's important to reflect and think like, well, how did that go? You know, but not how would I do it differently, but like, how would I do it next time? Mm. Because I, because, you know, every step that we've taken along the way got us to where we are right now.
4: Jeremy? My 18-year-old self loved the idea of being anti-establishment and being a potter in the 21st century and that I could do it myself, that I wouldn't have to rely on anyone else, kind of from a punk ethos that my teenage self, that was very important to me at 17, 18.
1: I love that. I love that you... So you're a punk potter.
4: Yeah. The the, the romantic side of the do-it-yourself side is not as important to me at 45 as it was at 18. I mean, it still rings true to me, but I'm much more concerned with, you know, health insurance for my children and the realities of life. But I I can't deny that the do it yourself uh, mentality is what drew me into ceramics and drew me into art and drew me into doing it myself. Okay, one last question for you two. Knowing what you know about
1: working outside the nine to five lifestyle, what is one thing you would go back and
4: tell your younger self? First is, I really believe that if you're passionate about something, that you have to, the thing you have to do for yourself is you have to not stop. Mm. You have to, I always made pottery, I always found a way, I always found a studio to work in, mm. and, I, and, I, and I give that same opportunity to, to young people because I give them the opportunity that I was looking for.
3: Well, I mean, I can't say it enough as someone who has gone through that apprentice um, path myself. Patience, patience, patience. <laughs> but the other thing I would say, and a little bit in response to what Jeremy was just saying, is that I think it's really important to surround yourself or to seek out you know, mentors or advisors that do what you want to do that are ahead of you because most often it's just kind of reassuring to be reminded sometimes that everybody's been where you are now Mm -hmm. and you know that that you'll you'll get to where they are eventually
1: as a, a fellow artistic entrepreneur Uh, I gotta say, it feels really amazing to have this conversation with people who make me feel less alone, honestly. Like, I'm going to take all of this back to Andrew and he's probably gonna flip out because he's gonna be like, finally, the answers I was looking for, the answers I needed, and we got them from Heather and Jeremy. Thank you guys so much for your time. Thank
4: you.
3: Yeah, thank you so much.
1: Hello, Andrew yeah hi how are you
5: i feel pretty good i'm actually out in salt lake city utah helping my sister remodel her bathroom so having a fun time
1: doing that i felt so connected to heather and jeremy's experiences they said so many things i wish someone had told me when i was getting started in my own career so i couldn't wait to pay it forward and share those thoughts with andrew I know something that keeps you up at night is this question of what could I be doing differently or how do I know I'm making the right choices? Same, first of all, (laughs) we struggle with similar things. Well, that question really resonated with Heather. Instead of thinking about what she could or should have done differently, she thinks it's way more productive to ask yourself, how would I do it next time? So does reframing that question ease some of your worries around making sure you're doing the quote unquote right thing?
5: It does, actually. Yeah, I like the idea of thinking of it in that way, because like you said, it is more productive and, you know, it's going to help you move forward as opposed to constantly dwell on, you know, tough decisions that you made in the past. So that does kind of ease my mind a little bit.
1: Me too. Now, Heather, Jeremy, and I also talked about financial equilibrium. Now, I know you were super into that idea.
5: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I told Andrew that Jeremy finds stability by focusing on the here and now. And Heather does it by reminding herself that money isn't her primary motivator. They're small mindset shifts, but they're helpful.
5: I mean, those are both really good, and I think that's kind of a cool way to look at it, you know, don't dwell so much on long term especially as a business because because it's often we're thinking oh i need this big business plan i need to know where i'm ultimately going to take this How's this going to end Correct. up you know that's definitely thoughts that i've had because there's so much unknown mm-hmm. when you are an entrepreneur as opposed to just going to work for somebody else you just you don't know what that roadmap is so fixating on the long term could just really cause you know a lot of stress and anxiety and then also just the whole like okay you know Money aside, what are the things I actually, you know, want in life and, uh, you know, what do I actually want to achieve?
1: Yes, this was this was a fantastic conversation for me, too. I have to say I was going to (laughs) under the guise of getting answers for you. And I ended up leaving this conversation feeling lit up and feeling understood. And I think a way I hadn't in a long time because Jeremy and Heather get it they both also talked about how to feel like you're part of a real community and how to make the difference in that community. For Heather, that means opening her butcher shop in her neighborhood and working with local farmers. And for Jeremy, he said that his footprint is here in his community. And that's something that's really important to him.
5: Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, that's uh, kind of part of the reward of being an entrepreneur and owning your own business because you get to interact with all these different people and make these kind of neat connections you wouldn't otherwise have and really get to know the people in your immediate community. So you have uh, that sort of, I think, almost like a primal instinct where you feel more full and rounded and rewarded by being more part of your community than you may otherwise be.
1: It's a trust factor, right? There is a difference. I'll tell you this right now. I don't want any old body in my bathroom fixing things. I want the guy I know. I want Andrew. Yeah, yep. The last thing I wanted to pass on to Andrew was also my biggest takeaway from the conversation, the idea that he's not alone. Heather and Jeremy wanted Andrew to know they'd been in his position, and one day, he'll be in theirs.
5: Like you said, you can often feel, uh-oh, you know, I'm out here floating out by myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um it's definitely a nice reminder that uh, that other people are doing it too.
1: It can feel lonely, but it's not a thing that we can take on to ourselves. Thank you so much for your time. You have been an amazing guest, and being able to answer these questions for you has allowed me to answer quite a few questions for myself.
5: Oh, awesome. Thanks, Ashley. Yeah, no, it's been great, and uh, it's been a nice little reflecting time for myself too. Have a good day. You too.
1: Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Really, finding work that works for you means so many things. Whether you're working a 9-to-5 job, starting your own business, driving for rideshare apps, apprenticing, or still figuring it out, we all need our work to create that sense of financial equilibrium. But honestly, that's not all I want from my job. Finding work that works for me also means finding work that I care about. And that's what we're going to talk about next week, because I know I'm not alone. We all have questions about this stuff, and I want to keep talking through them all.
5: Ashley C. Ford, I'm so glad you're back. Your voice is like butter. Anyway, my question is,
3: how do I teach my child good money habits? How do I get my friends to pay me back?
5: Am I less than my coworkers?
3: I'm wondering if I can afford... What's the to most environmentally knowledge. conscious way
5: to commute to work? Should I apply to grad school? Hey,
3: Ashley. Um, hey, Ashley. I'm, I'm wondering, can how do I talk
0: to my parents?
3: There? Hi, it's Amy from Miranda Tribe. I just want to talk about how our work can change the world.
1: That's next time on Fortune Favors the Bold. Fortune Favors the Bold is a podcast from MasterCard and Pineapple Street Studios. It's hosted and produced by me, Ashley C. Ford. Our MasterCard executive producers are Marcy Cohen and Brooke caps MasterCard editorial direction by Arsalan Danish and production by Rebecca Abraham. Our MasterCard mid-roll producer is Mira Belgrade. Our theme song is by Bobby Lord. Tell us what you thought of the show. Find us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. And tell your friends about the show, too. I'm Ashley C. Ford. Fortune favors the bold. We'll be back next week.